1: So welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant podcast. I am joined today by a great guest, a very inspiring guy. His favorite color is yellow, and you may well know him from his podcast, Tej Talks. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Tej Singh to the podcast. Now, Tej is a property investor, and he went from a standing start of zero to £1.3 million of property in nine months. Yeah, nine months. That's incredible. So we're going to talk all about Tej's journey, how he used to be in recruitment and kind of what he's up to now. So welcome, Tej.
0: Thank you so much. And you said it was incredible. I think I would say it was incredibly stressful and incredibly (laughs) challenging. But yeah, I I like how you described it.
1: (laughs) We'll go with my version.
0: (laughs) Yeah, let's do the, yeah.
1: Excellent. Tej, it's a real pleasure to have you on. It, it absolutely is. And um, as from one fellow podcaster to another, um, it's great to have the chance to talk and hear your journey. So if you don't mind, let's do that. Let's you know jump straight in with your journey, where life started for you, and kind of how things have evolved.
0: Yeah, sure. So I think where I would kind of start it is probably university. So I went to King's College London, studied biochemistry. I was kind of on my way to do something in science. I was never going to be a scientist. I really couldn't deal with it and the lack of people and just the repetitiveness. And, you know, scientists are incredible. They change the world and and they do so much more than anyone realizes. But it just wasn't for me. So, you know, I was at university, have time in my life. I studied abroad in my second year in America, which was just, you know, it was just incredible. came back to England, which wasn't so incredible. And uh, yeah, finished off. I, I, and actually, you know, I think people have said this for many years, but graduate jobs are incredibly difficult to find. I think I had like 45 interviews before I got a job and it wasn't even a job. It was a um, kind of a paid internship thing. And I had a good degree, good university, good grade, you know, I don't know. So, you know, it was a struggle then, and I suppose it still is a struggle now. I suppose that maybe set something off in me where I thought, so I've just spent three years and like, you know, 3000 pounds a year to now do 45 interviews and only get an internship. So, okay. So I think something there, you know, subconsciously was like, this doesn't add up. What? Why am I doing this? Anyways, I got a job moved on to a second job and it was within uh, medical education. So it was marketing for doctors and nurses. So you had to be, I say, you have to be, they claim to be more scientific and accurate and figures based Um, pharmaceutical companies are not exactly known for their ethics, I suppose, (laughs) or kind of being accurate with figures. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of leave that there before I get sued. Um, So it was, you know, working with that was interesting. And again, something happened there where, you know, I'd look around. So we work nine to five, everyone's in the office till 536. And I, I asked our CEO who was just a bit of a, well, I say CEO, he was just a bit of a schmoozer. You know, those ones who don't do anything. They just talk and they, they say an adage and they leave and it's like, oh, <laughs> wow. So, you know, funny guy, but I said to him, um, Hey, so, you know, we all, we all stay past five in that. Like, um, I don't mind. I don't really want to, but I don't mind. Um, how is it added to our pay? And he must've pissed himself laughing. Like, no, 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 no. That's... I was like, so why the fuck is everyone here then? Like, what are you all doing with your lives? Go home and do something you fucking enjoy. Why are you here? Um, but then I found out, and I suppose this is in every job, I suppose, but particularly in this industry, it's normal. I also found out that a lot of people, a lot of our clients were idiots, like actual idiots, which is why they hired us. And, we would have to treat them like so I don't know, like you and me, we have our own businesses, right? If we don't like someone, we fire them. If we don't like someone, we don't work with them. Solicitors, whoever it is, we just say no. We couldn't really say no. And there was a lot of like having to be like the small talk and then like big them up and oh wow, what a great idea, but we're not going to use it. Or it was just so much like putting them on a pedestal, but they were like actual idiots. So I thought again, There's so many things adding up here that I'm like, why do we do this? Why am I doing this? And of course, I wasn't the best at relationships with them because I had no time for their stupidity. So then I left that job for like a 40% pay rise after about eight months. Went to went to the same place I had my internship at. Didn't like the politics, didn't like the culture, basically got fired um, because I wasn't performing as expected, which I wasn't, but at the same time, I was so relieved. You know when you kind of think oh no like this is a bad thing i was like oh no this is really bad i'm so yeah, i'm so <laughs> sad about this um i think the scariest thing was going home to my mother and being like hi i'm 23 i just got fired after you spent hanging on my degree and um you know so that was kind of the silent treatment was probably the worst i mean it's probably worse than anything she could say then Obviously, I'd also lost a bit of faith in pharmaceuticals. I read um, a book called Bad Pharma by Ben Goldacre, a really good book just for anyone to read. And, you know, I just discovered things that I think a lot of people know. And uh, I—it it's more about the stuff they have done. Obviously, they're still doing stuff, but, you know, it's less clear now. I kind of wanted to do something a bit more ethical. (laughs) So... I set up a recruitment business, which of course is known as the the the, the you know the central part of ethics. But um, yeah, it certainly wasn't that. And I spent three hmm, three and a half maybe yeah three and a half years you know running that business. I had no education in it. I had a friend who had a business who was apparently going to help me. I'm still waiting for the help to this day. So you can tell that I didn't um, didn't really have much help. And it was profitable from you know sort of the second week now that's not a, and I think profits doubled every year, but that's not re. it's not hugely an indicator of like me necessarily. I think it also indicates that like sales, I suppose it is a business where you can start with not a lot of capital, not a lot of knowledge, and you can do well if you have the right personality, which I didn't have. I'm not that guy. Like I'm not a recruiter. It just does not suit me. Pick up the phone. Are oh, you a recruiter. Now we hate you. Like every day. <laughs> so you know what? That was golden handcuffs. I've heard it's called you're making money, but you don't like it. Um, made money from that. And I, I kept watching like grand designs and amazing spaces. So, you know, big up those guys. And I thought, Hmm, I like this interior design stuff, property assets. That sounds good. Okay. So I kept saving and saving and saving and thought, okay, well in, I don't know, X many years I'll do property. Cause of course, as we all think at the start, you need a lot hmm. of money to do property i soon discovered isn't always the case and uh yeah i sort of run my business from home it got pretty lonely got pretty boring and like just i don't know i don't know what i was doing i was making money so it it sustained me i suppose and yeah i then did a few contracts like working sort of in companies that was good fun and then i said you know what i kind of listened to podcasts did a bit of education not paid but like books meeting people etc etc which it's maybe a mistake that we can get to later. I then said, I can't do this stuff part-time. Like I, you know, I struggle to focus anyway, but now I'm expected to travel hundreds of miles, mm. you know, and do my business and do my, it just wouldn't work. So I had enough savings for about a year, maybe two years. Uh, I lived at home. So life was easy. i miss those days. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I won't say it too loud. The missus will hear me, but you know, I think like then, yeah, I, I I quit sort of my business, I suppose, or I sort of quietened it down and went into property full time. And then, you know, as you said earlier, the nine months of hell ensued and um, I came out of it with a portfolio and a I would say as passive as possible sort of income with some decent capital appreciation and not that much money left in. Um, a lot of lessons and a lot of scars. So that's my uh, whistle-stop tour of my my main life so far.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, there's loads in here, which I'm going to kind of dig into, if, if you don't mind, Tej. So there's a couple of things, actually, which stood out as you were talking to me. And I think one is about sort of values. Um, and you know, you were talking about those earlier roles, you know, when you were in that sort of medical education and and the sort of the, the the sort of I suppose more corporate style jobs, if we if we may call it that. And and I guess that it seems to me that there just wasn't really an alignment with your values, the customer, and and kind of you know, so that you really felt um, behind what you were doing. Do you think that's fair? The, and and how, what part has values played in in the choices you've made? Do you think?
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. That's a great way to, to summarize it there. You know, I suppose for me, values, values are kind of everything because, and I mean, look, some of them are like deep values, but some of them are kind of maybe more superficial. Like I value people who reply to emails quickly. You know, um, I value people who understand what I'm trying to do in a part of the vision. Those are quite shallow maybe, but then I deeply value people who believe in equality, who believe in justice, um, who are what well, I think anyway, good people. So I think I've got two levels. I think we all have levels of values, um, maybe business values and personal values. You could call them. And I think in order for me to grow as quickly and successfully as I have, it's because I've worked with and not worked with people who have the same or different values. And I think when you're interviewing someone, when you're, you know, deciding if you want to work with them, the values just come out just in the questions you ask, the way you ask it, their body language, you know, their nonverbal communication, their tone of what everything can kind of show you their values. And so, yeah, values have been an important part that I haven't consciously thought about. But when I, Don't work with someone. It's always because of what you kind of said. uh, There's there's a there's not an alignment with them. But when I do work with someone, I'm like, "Mm," we kind of you know we're on the same page in in different kind of chapters, I suppose. And and yeah, I think it's super important. And you know, for your business to be successful, customers, clients, suppliers, whoever, it has to align.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And and you know, it doesn't really matter whether you're talking about corporate world or you know a small entrepreneurial business, property, whatever. I mean, I, I'm with you, Tej, that it's always been so important that I really have respect for the people that I work with. That we, you know, we share those values. And and actually, I'm passionate about the customer and and serving that customer. You know, whoever it may be. So I think you're right that. That value piece translates across. It doesn't, it doesn't have to just be applied to entrepreneur, but you have to do your due diligence, don't you?
0: <laughs> yeah, always, <laughs> big time
1: so let's talk let's talk about the property a bit then Tej because you had you know a very uh, fast journey shall we say in that first nine months from zero to 1.3 and um, and you know someone listening to this might be thinking bloody hell god I could never do that I could, how the hell am I going to be able to achieve that so talk, talk us through a little bit of the detail in terms of how you threw yourself in and you managed to, to kind of get those numbers at the same time as I guess learning a lot along the way as well
0: yeah so i think you know anyone who's thinking i could never do that i think what you should be thinking is i can do it but should i do it because you know to kind of caveat everything i'm about to say when you know when i look back if i had grown slower i would have grown quicker you know because mm. there were points where i had four or five refurbs at one point potentially with the same builder, which was a huge mistake. And I know had I had one, maybe even just starting two weeks after the other, like if it was slightly more staggered, the learnings from every two weeks before would be applied and applied and applied and every refurb would get 10 times better. But instead the same mistakes were made across all refurbs. The same cowboys had an effect across all refurbs because they were too, like they were. it was too much at the same time. Now, Whereas if I slowed down, I would have actually ended up buying more property because at the tail end there would have been more because I learned so much. Uh, so, you know, I, I suppose you know I don't do I I don't regret grow, growing that quickly, but I think people need to take a real look at their situation, their income, their end goals, where they want to be in a year, the market, which right now is just a mess in in many respects for buyers, and then say to yourself, Tedge did it. That's great. You know, Jeanette has grown as well. You know but do I want to be like them? Do I want to be like her? Do I want to be like him? It, it's totally up to people listening. But I think if, if we look at some of the core principles, I think the first thing is people over profits. So of course, everything I do has to be profitable. Like it makes no sense otherwise, unless it's a charity or it's philanthropy or something. So like how, how does this exist? Or well, what it means is that if you put people first, your profits will naturally be much greater. You know, when I'm, working with various members of my team, I'm looking at certain refurbs, I'm not considering the profit. I'm thinking, how can this relationship get better? How can we better serve each other? Um, and you know, I suppose you, even the level of tenants where I'm like, well, I could put in a cheap 400 quid kitchen or I could put in an 800 quid one, but which one is actually gonna serve the people better? Which one is gonna make me a little bit less profit? Maybe, but it's gonna be better for the people. Um, and, you know, when I'm buying properties, I don't think, oh, that's another 300 quid a month on my cash flow. I think, and this is maybe a slightly different topic, but I think, ooh, what kitchen are we putting in? What bathroom are we putting in? Like, I'm not thinking about the profit. I'm thinking about the customer, the client, the suppliers. Yeah. How can it be kind of in synergy? And again, going off people, knowing the right people and having them close is so important. If you invest far from home, you need good people on the ground, like third parties. So you need a good builder you need a good project manager, whatever. But then you need a third party to project manage the project manager, project managing the project managing. Like, because you just need a third person who's basically you to be checking on everything. And that only comes from your network and who you know. And then I think really, to be honest, the biggest principle or or thing is my social media and my brand. Without that, the, you know, I wouldn't have saved money on everything. I wouldn't have had the connections, the speed, the network, the ability, the relationships to buy things that quickly. Um, you know, I wouldn't have bridges giving me discounts. I wouldn't have solicitors giving me discounts. I wouldn't have supply, you know, there's like 101 pieces that fit into property or any business. And I've saved and made money on every single one of them because of the brand. Um, the people I know, the people I meet, the people who want to help, the access to, to people's brains that I have access to in this game because of this is incredible. And then, of course, then in my investors—they've all come through TED Talks, and mm. they've funded every deal apart from the first one. And all the well, not all the deals, but thirty percent of my deals have come through TED Talks in some shape or form. If I've got money coming from it, and I've got deals coming from it, and I've got discounts and but this has given me every single step of the way. And again, if people think you know going to 1.3 million is tough, building a brand is bloody tough. So uh, what I'm saying is I built a brand before I even did a viewing, had a property for six, t- eight, 10, however many months. And then I was able to grow so quickly, but they were both in, you know, difficult in their own respects. So for me, social media encompasses everything I'm saying.
1: Brilliant. We're going to talk about social media in a bit, Tej, but I just want to pick up on um, a couple of things you were talking about, because, you know, often when people uh, talk about brands, you know, they tend to think of it as big companies or, you know, the Nikes of this world or the Apples. And, and of course, you know, brands like that dominate in their space, right? Clearly. But really what we're talking about is identity. And I think when you're when you're also intrinsically linked as a personality with your business, you know, you are often the brand. Um, so, So the identity, I think that you kind of give yourself, the stories you tell yourself, I mean, coming back to your point earlier around, you can do it, you know, absolutely believing it and having a passion and following your dreams. But how that then plays out in terms of your identity and therefore your personal brand and your company brand is all intrinsically linked, isn't it? Um, you know, so maybe just touch a bit around, around sort of brand creation and, and where that started from you, because a lot of people I think might be thinking, God, where do I start with a brand? You know, I haven't got a clue.
0: Yeah. And that's a very good point there. And, you know, I think that's the distinction between the personal brand and the company brand, you know, Nike, mm. Adidas, Apple, they're company brands. Although obviously when Steve Jobs was alive, you know, it was kind of a, it was a, a sort of hybrid ish. But they're still companies i think what people have to have to look at is well firstly why do you want a brand now if i had a little book full of all billionaires who were going to fund my deals and i had all the agents i knew and would i be building a brand i personally would because i love it but 99 of people would say hell no i've got the money in this book and i've got the deals here why do i need it so that's the first thing is that you know do you need it why do you need it what's the aim of it Secondly, the aim, as much as you want to raise finance and get deals, can't like it, it is that. That's the motive, I suppose. but that's not the aim. The aim is, how can I entertain? How can I add value? How can I create something? How can I show people the reality of property investment or this niche within property investment? What can I do to it, it comes back to adding value in whatever form um, or way that is. Once you kind of get that down, then it comes down to consistency and persistency. So, you know, there's, oh, I don't know, how many you know, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Clubhouse, um, in LinkedIn, you know, that's just a few. Those are probably the main ones. Um, I think Instagram, I say Instagram. But like, okay, I'm on all of them. Again, I love this. And we're also in a lockdown. So it's not like there's a huge <laughs> amount else going on. Everything's overpriced. What else am I going to be doing? Um, but you know, focus on, focus on two, I say. Um, really, you know, you, when you're starting out, maybe focus on one and just be amazing at it. I love Instagram. That's my favorite, you know, Facebook kind of second, I suppose. Um, but pick a profile, um, sorry, pick a, um, a social media app, stick to it, learn what works on that platform. The main thing for me is content, content and engagement. So if you're putting that, so look, content is so, so important. But if you're putting out good content, but you're not engaging with anyone else, no one's going to engage with you, whether it's an ego thing, whether it's just pure visibility or, you know, reciprocity, if you're not commenting and liking on other people's stuff, they're not going to give it to you, no matter how good your content is, you know, when you're not Gary Vee, you're not, you know, whatever people aren't going to flock to you naturally yet. So you have to put good content out there, but you also have to give love to get love on your content. Now those two together, along with being social on social media. So sending DMS to people messaging, all your followers, getting to know people, those three principles done with consistency and persistency, you know, are going to build you a brand now within each of those things, they're verticals. There's, you know, again, 101 things you can be doing in each thing to make it what it is, and those are tips, tricks, hacks, whatever. But for me, I think that's the best way I can explain how to build it is with that, with those top level principles, which people don't stick to. They do bits, they do a bit of content or a bit of inget, but they don't stick to those principles to support everything and make it work.
1: Yeah. And I think also, I mean, certainly I had this touch where I'd been in the corporate world for a long time, you know, 25 years as a CEO running very large travel businesses. And I almost had to get out of my own way with social media because I had you know there was a blocker in my mind I knew it was great and I knew it could deliver you know fabulous things for, for, for me for the business and to be able to help other people but I really had to kind of you know force myself if you like and, and it, once you get into it you, you do gather momentum but you're right it's it's that consistency isn't it and just trying not to be overwhelmed and do loads and then do nothing
0: <laughs> yeah which happens a lot which does happen a lot yeah
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the podcast then, Tej, because, you know, you said I an mean, incredibly powerful number there that 30% of, you know, your deals or, or, you know, the sort of the investors have come through Tej Talks. So where did that start? Where are you now with it? And, you know, what, what's the sort of content that you find works well? And what are people loving about Tej Talks?
0: Sure. So, Um, It started because I I won a ticket to an education providers, you know, whatever, masterclass, four day, I don't know what they call it now, thing. And whilst it was good, and I obviously learned a lot, there's no denying that. And, you know, it helped me start and, you know, I met people, I, I met the person I bought my first deal off over there. It just, it didn't appeal to me. I was sort of uncomfortable the whole time physically on the skinny little chairs and the food was crap and they were missing a lot of detail and they'd kind of, a lot of the teachers have been there, done that. And that's good because you learn something from experienced people, of course, but really I want someone who's doing it right now. And I thought, hmm, everything about this is a bit old school. I, I don't want to sit in a room for three or four days straight and like have to pay for a hotel. I want to learn when I'm going for a walk, when I'm at the gym, when I'm just sitting here like... I learn in my own way, as we all do. So I thought, hold on a minute, it's got to be an easier way. And I think at the time I was still in recruitment doing tech stuff. And I think podcasts were still quite new-ish in the UK. It was a lot of stuff about tech and like, you know, FinTech and all, you know, all these cool, you know, London startups were kind of part of this kind of podcasting world. And I suppose the Americans were big on it then like Joe Rogan and all these other guys. Mm. So I thought, hold on a minute, this is great because your hands are not busy your eyes are not busy you you can do whatever you like but you can listen to stuff cool and it's free cool so i started a podcast before i had a single viewing before i knew what even hmo stood for like i was i mean i haven't listened to them but i'm sure if you go back and listen to episode 1 and 2 i sound like a complete noob which i was and for me that theme of it's not sounding like i'm new but asking the questions that the listeners want to know. And that's what really works. You know, you said what works it's that because I still get people like beginners who have never done anything in property say to me on Instagram, Hey, I love your interview style. I love your podcast with X, Y, Z. You literally ask exactly what I would want to ask them. And I'm, and for me, that's important because even now, you know, being in it for, I don't know, a year and a half, two years now in property, if I'm still asking the questions that beginners and, you know, experienced people want to know, That's what works for me and the listeners, because, Mm. you know, the only reason people are going to listen to this podcast is to hear what we have to say and what we know. And they're only going to listen to my episodes because they want to know about that topic or from that person. So if I'm not delivering that content, then it's not working. So for me, that's what really works. And, you know, when I started out, it was like five listeners, 10, 20, 100, 200, and then it kind of, you know, very slowly if I look at the chart it kind of went up, I mean, it goes up and, you know, it kind of goes up and yeah. down, up and down with the days, but you know, it's kind of got to a point now where I, I believe we've just crossed 600,000 listens or downloads wow. in two years. Thank you. In two years, I think. <laughs> um, and I've only spent like 40 quid on paid adverts as a trial. So I've never really done anything paid. It's kind of all been organic. Um, I think we've done 160 shows maybe in a hundred different countries, people have listened to it. So, you know, and I, I suppose I want to show people the efficiency of that. I'm sitting here with this microphone in the comfort of my own home, and I'm reaching people in a hundred different countries, thousands, thousands of unique people every single week. How can you, how can you get sort of stronger reach and engagement and kind of have your word spread than that. um, And you can't, and I suppose another thing people are loving is, is, is my approach is me. Like, so people listen to me because they want to hear me. People listen to other property podcasts because they don't want to hear me. They want to hear them and they love them. So as you know, we are what makes this podcast. People listen to you, Jeanette, because they like you and want to hear you. So that's how I'd answer that.
1: Yeah, and, and it comes back. I mean, that's brilliant. And congratulations. That That's phenomenal success and uh, very inspiring, actually, for anyone listening and just shows the, the power of podcasting, which um, is a topic very close to our hearts. But I think the other thing that shines through um, to, comes back to this whole piece around brand and identity and being new and being authentic. And, you know, at the end of the day, OK, I've got a Mancunian accent and that, that some people that will get right on their nerves. Other people will go, well, you know, she's a she's a she's a good solid northerner. <laughs> and, and that's fine, isn't it? You can't you can't be everyone's bag. Um, but I think about being yourself and a conversational style that adds value um, is the way to go for sure. And you've done that in bucket loads, which is which is brilliant. Um, I wanna take you back a little bit Tej if I may, because there's so much good stuff in everything you're saying as we go. And you talked about when you were 23 and you'd, you'd got fired from the, from the job you were doing and you went back and to tell your mum. So I just wanted to sort of explore a little bit because I know you started at sort of university uh, when you were telling your journey. But t- take us through a little bit sort of family life, you know, and, and sort of what it was like growing up as a kid and, you know, the role your mum pe- played in, in sort of how it shaped you as an adult or your dad or, or you know, the people around you. Because I think it's nice to know the backdrop as well um, in terms of your family sort of start, if you like, in life
0: yeah absolutely so i think growing up was quite i don't know i suppose normal um you'd class family as middle class there weren't any sort of money worries it wasn't in abundance but i suppose everyone was quite comfortable um i think my parents divorced in 2000 and i want to say 2002 so quite a while ago i think i was fairly young when it happened i suppose that has had an impact on me as a person and, and how i perceive things and how i am um I think a psychologist could probably see that when they speak to me, but you know, if mo- most people probably can't tell, well, I don't know. So <laughs> I think, you know, growing up with two houses was, was interesting. I mean, I suppose I was too young to really sort of get it or kind of be bothered. I suppose the main thing was if I forgot homework in one bloody house, I have to go and get it or make an excuse to the teacher. Um, or if, you know, it the practical element was the, the most annoying thing as a child, I suppose. Mm. But, you know, birthdays, holidays was double presents. So it was kind of like, mm, I don't mind leaving the homework there because I'm I'm kind of winning here. Um, and I suppose I spent a lot of time with my grandparents on my mum's and dad's side when I was growing up. Because my parents were working, you know, they would sort of pick me up from school or I'd be there because it was close to school. And I think being, a you know, in a Punjabi family, family is, it's important. And, you know, it's kind of a, priority especially when you're growing up and you know grandparents are I would say I'm probably closer to my grandparents than my parents Mm. just just sort of the way it's happened um and so yeah I kind of grew up with them and my parents and yeah I mean I think my, my both my parents have had a kind of impact on me my mom is a very strong woman uh, she's a head teacher and she, she's perfect for the job, like her whole personality, mm-hmm. everything is just, yep. It's a, you, you are a head teacher. You're great at this. and um, my dad's a photographer and actually this microphone, any audio visual stuff anyone has on Tedge talks, it's from him. So, you know, he's kind of really helped me actually on that practical side. So, yeah, I think growing up, I, you know, I think a lot of people, well, I, I suppose I suppose there's two main kind of camps. There's one where your parents are like, do what you like, we don't mind. And there's one where they're like, no, you have to be this, you have to do this and I have to do that. I kind of had the do what you like, as long as you're studying, as long as you're getting good grades, you know, as long as you were putting in the work, you're hitting your KPIs basically, then you kind of get on with it. And so it was never like, um, like I know, you know, some people in my culture, you know, have to be an engineer, lawyer, doctor, have to marry mm. this person that it was just like, as long as you're happy and you're heading towards your version of success and you're getting good grades at those times when it was graded it was kind of do what you like you know like when i started the business my dad was like yeah nice one mate if you want any help let me know <laughs> it was kind of like cool um, my mom was my mom was a bit more apprehensive which was good because it kept me on my toes but she still was like you know, it's my grandmother who, you know, my naniji who's like, are you making money? How do you actually make money? Are you, are you paying the right? Are you being able to live? Are you making money? And I'm like, obviously, I'm like, yes. Um, and she probably called my mom and feeds back. Yeah. Yeah. He's making money. Don't worry. It's <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was, you know, growing up was, I suppose, fairly normal. Um, and I had very, you know, I'm gr- very grateful for having parents who just sort of said, do what you like, as long as you're doing well and you're a good person, which helped a yeah. lot.
1: Yeah, well, obviously you've got some massive role models and kind of you know um, backing there on, on, as you say, grandparents and parents. And, and where do you think the entrepreneurial spirit comes from, then, Tej? Um,
0: I think maybe it comes from defiance because my mum is not an entrepreneur. My dad is arguably, but he's not sort of in the same um, sort of like oh, I don't know how to describe. He hasn't got the same fire. I, I, like, I mean, he's obviously a lot older, but he there's a different type of entrepreneur. He's probably a happy entrepreneur, you know, kind of takes it a bit easier, but he's actually really happy and he, he's not chasing the endless goal like most of us are. So <laughs> there's probably something to learn there. Um, I think it comes from defiance. I think, you know, like you know, as I kind of said early on, those little things I noticed in this job and after uni, and I think just being like, why do I have to do it your way? Why, mm. why do I have to wait until you think I'm good enough to give me a pay rise of 3%. Why do I have to, you know, um, be in here past six because our clients are idiots? I just think it was me being like, nah, I can't deal with your way. And I I looked at some of the owners of like these companies and you could tell they were kind of, you know, they were wealthy, you could just tell, right? Uh, And I kind of just thought, hold on a minute. Like I'm here hustling, doing all the work, making pennies and he's making pounds. Mm. off my you know pennies who is he or she like they're just me in four years with like Mm. a different like so I just thought well if you can do it so can I so I'm gonna do it so I think it was defiance I've never thought about it now you've made me think about it so yeah I think it was defiance
1: (laughs) well I'm glad I've made you think about it (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems to me that you, you've got quite a questioning mind, like a kind of a curiosity, mm. um, you know, that, that sort of led you down the path that you, you've gone down, you know, because if you think about your background, biochemistry, then pharmaceuticals, recruitment, property podcasting, you know, they're all quite, I know there's a link there in terms of how you've evolved, but they are quite different fields, aren't they? Yeah. And so actually, I, I guess a curiosity to, to learn and develop and, and shape yourself, it sounds that that has, has sort of been a thread through through that journey of yours.
0: I agree. I think it's the analytical mind coming from science. I've loved science since I was a kid. Mm. So, you know, if you said to me, I don't know. Property prices in this area are up ten percent. I would say, show me the figures. You know, (laughs) you believe the house is worth three hundred k? Show me the comparable. So I never believe anything without proof or evidence. Which I think, I mean, that's the only thing my degree taught me and how to pie. So, yeah, I suppose I'm thankful for it.
1: (laughs) But that, but that's it. That is a good thing to have because you know, when it comes to property or business in general, you know, I will always say, know your numbers. Doesn't matter, you know, what field you're in, but know your numbers even even if you don't have like a really fancy PL cash flow balance sheet, but you've got to know your numbers and you've got to have that sort of gut feel as well for when a, when is a deal a deal, right? Which comes slightly intuitive, but also, as you say, by having evidence and, and kind of, you know, facts to back it up. So I guess that served you well uh, going into property, would you say, Tej?
0: A million percent. And I kind of realised mm. this as I was going through that. I was always questioning stuff and certain people would be like, Oh, it's normal. You you know, agents. Oh yeah. This house is worth 400 grand, mate. Well, is it? Um, So I think without that, you can't really analyze deals without it to an extent. So I'm quite fortunate that I naturally had it as like one of my strengths, I suppose.
1: Mm, yeah. And obviously you've invested, well, not obviously, actually, a lot of people might not know this, but I know that you invest in South Wales. Um, why did you choose down there? And kind of what was the approach, you know, what was the steps you went through in terms of deciding on your investment area, Tej?
0: So, you know what? It's nothing special. And there's, I mean, you know, South Wales, a beautiful place. The valleys are lovely. Everyone is so friendly. It, you know, I love being there. Um, apart from the rain, which means I can't get any <laughs> roofing work done. But, uh, like for me, it was very similar to everyone else. It was okay. I've got this much cash. I wasn't really thinking about how much I could have in the future. I just got like, oh, this much cash. I want to pull it out. I want to do BRR. I also want to be able to flip it if, you know, I need to, and I want to do some mm. flips. I lived in West London at the time. So not too far from where I am now, but straight off the M4, I'm there hour and a half, two hours. I thought, right, where's close? Where can I do BRR that works? Liverpool, Yorkshire, Manchester at the time, you know, great places to invest. But four hours minimum? And I thought, "Mm, you know what, my my grandma and Naniji lives in Birmingham. I could stop over. I just thought, no, you know what? And Birmingham didn't work. I, I wanted to invest there, but it again, did not work like figures wise, kind of market wise. Strong sales market, strong rental market. You can do BRR, cheap property prices. Off I went and, you know, just watching sources, watching other people doing my research, you know, there's a lot, I suppose there's a lot of steps you kind of go through, took a bit of time, but yeah, there's nothing special. People always want to know this one, but my answer is so, um, so generic, I suppose.
1: Yeah, well, no, but they're all really good points actually for any anyone listening. I mean, for those that know me, know that Chris, my other half, who's my life and business partner in the property side of things, you know, he's a he's a Swansea Jack, you know. So we know that part <laughs> of very well. And when we were we lived in London for many years, um, only recently relocated. But when we were deciding where do we want to invest going forward, we have invested investments in London and in Cambridgeshire, but we said, oh, well. It's probably going to be Manchester or or Swansea because that's where we're from, you know. So it makes sense to look there. And we ended up choosing Manchester because of family reasons and 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 it, and the numbers work for us up here. But yeah, Swansea and that South Wales is is a good a good option, isn't it, Tej, uh, You know, based on the criteria. But I think the point here is be clear on what it is that you're trying to achieve and what's your criteria. Might be different to someone else's, um, so you can't just sort of one size never fits all, does it, with this kind of thing?
0: No, nope, I agree. It has to be it Has to be suited to your goals, your situation, and your end goals.
1: Yeah. And, and um, earlier, Tej, you know, I mean, obviously, when you decide, made that decision to go into South Wales and when you were talking before you, you were so- talking about your network, essentially, and how you've built a really strong network through social media, also from just kind of being out there and, and being a, quite a personality, I guess, um, with people. How important was network in getting you going when you decided to get into property and how important is it now compared to the early days?
0: it's probably equally as important, but for different reasons. So now it's like, oh, can you go check on this house? Can you go check on the builder? Can you do a viewing for me? Um, You know, can you send me a video? I can't be bothered to view it, Mr. Agent or Mr. Auctioneer. Um, But in the start, you know, I suppose while it was still in its nascency and I was building it, it was more a case of, hey, you know, this area, what's it like? You know, hmm, what do you think about this deal? And what do you think about, you know, will I get good tenants here? And is this agent any good or, you know, can you trust them or, or can you give me a builder's recommendation? Still kind of similar now. So I think they were both equally as important, but at the beginning, at the beginning, I was less confident. I knew less people. I knew less resources and tips and tricks to, you know, to help me. So it was more valuable than in a sense. Mm -hmm. Now, if my network can't help, I know a way or someone or something or, you know, somehow to fix an issue. So equally kind of as important, but slightly more valuable at the start because I was less uh, knowledgeable.
1: Mm, yeah, that's a great answer. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously I'm a lot longer in the tooth than you are Ted <laughs> of, your, of your youth. Um, but, you know, I mean, from my experience, your network stays with you for life. If, if you nurture it, and you're kind to people and you give a lot of yourself and it's not just take, take, take. You, you're always thinking how to help the other person. You know, I mean, I do business with people that I've I've known for 30 years, you know, who, who were there in the early days when I was starting my career in, in travel, you know. So I, I think it's a great a great piece of advice to, to continue to nurture that network. And you you will call on it for different reasons at different times, as you say. Um, and sometimes it's just a, a safe place, isn't it, to bounce ideas around, you know, in formal mentors or you know if you just need a bit of reassurance or get some information so it's so it's not just about the deals it it works in so many different ways I always think Tej yeah
0: I agree absolutely
1: yeah brilliant I've got a couple of final questions well actually before I I ask the final questions because you've had such an illustrious (laughs) career and business life so far but you've also got a book haven't you so just tell us about the book because that's the next evolution for, for Tej
0: absolutely so I, I love writing uh, I always have and I thought okay right my podcast does this part of sort of learning property but I think there's a bit maybe for real beginners or people who are kind of at the start that's missing and that I couldn't really summarize in like an hour-long podcast so mm. I've written um, the TED Talks guide to property investing. So it's focused on the buy, refurbish, refinance model. We do talk about flips, um, but mm. they can be a different beast in themselves. But a lot of the concepts and some of the deal analysis is similar. Um, so it's aimed at people who have no properties, who are interested in it, who are considering it, and actually quite a few people have you know put it on their Instagram stories who have you know multiple properties. So mm. I think there's a lot to be learned there because. You know, buying these 15 properties in nine months, 150 miles away from home, managing multiple four or five refurbs at once, some of them with individual trades on, and having a podcast and having a brand, I have made a lot of mistakes and learned a lot from it. So this book is full of things that, in my opinion, no other property book or and too no other property course even is going to teach you and tell you about because I'm doing it now i've done it i've been mucked around as you've seen on my instagram stories people <laughs> who follow me you know everything in almost everything is in there um from a kind of beginner's perspective to get you started and there's a lot of tips and tricks that i haven't shared anywhere else and that will put you ahead of the competition um i think it's like 190 pages maybe so you know people are getting through it fairly quickly um mm. but yeah you know people go on amazon te- type in ted talks and have a look at the reviews i think there's 130 five-star reviews at the moment. So yeah, people go check it out.
1: Oh, that's brilliant. And congratulations on that. And like you say, it's almost the warts and all guide um, to starting out. Uh, there, There are no stupid questions, are there, at the end of the day? So not at all. And it's all learning. Um, so, yeah, when we t- when we talk about failure, I think as entrepreneurs, you know, we love failure because we learn from it. And that's that's the uh, that's the thing, isn't it, about being your own boss as well. Mm-hmm. So, I know that's great. So check it out on Amazon, everyone that's listening. And um, so just a, a few final questions, Tej, if I may. So can you think of the best piece of advice that you've ever been given?
0: Oh, good question. You know, what? I've been given so many you know, you know what? The best piece of advice I've ever been given is a is probably well, it's probably all stoic wisdom, but I think one of the the biggest quotes and it's annoying. So this quote is from Shakespeare. So Shakespeare has given me this advice, um, <laughs> obviously my boy, but he's basically quoting stoic wisdom. So basically the Stoics said, Nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And mm. for me, that that single piece of advice can change everything and everyone um you know is something good or bad well no we make it good or bad and then so for me yeah you know I can't say oh I met someone and they gave me people give advice all the time but that one quote and that one philosophy for me can change everything
1: yeah that's brilliant because and it's very aligned with Confucius isn't it as well of you know Mm. Um, those who think they can and those who think they can't are both normally right. And you're absolutely, absolutely spot on, you know? So, and this podcast is all about how you can strive and unlock the potential in yourself, live your dreams. And, you know, that's why it's so inspiring to hear your story, Tej, you know, warts and all of the ups, the downs, the failures, the successes, all of that, because actually if you don't have that, you know, it's very hard to unlock the potential in, in you. And that's what this podcast is aiming to do, inspire people to be the best version of themselves. So mindset and self-belief is just absolutely critical. So brilliant piece of, of um, advice. And can you think of the worst piece of advice that you've ever...
0: You know what? I I ask people this and they, and they, <laughs> and they, they always struggle with an answer and I'm like, oh God, come on, mate. <laughs> And I'm here struggling with an answer. Uh, Okay. My answer is this. No, because I have a bullshit filter like we all have. Right. And I don't get near people or listen to people who give bad advice. Now, look, there's loads of trolls on Facebook and idiots and losers who give you just weird and silly advice that you just, you just ignore straight away. So there's loads of that, but nothing really sticks to me as like something someone said. And I was like, oh, and I did totally opposite to that. Because mm. if someone has given me bad advice, in my opinion, it's gone through the filter and it hasn't made it into the brain. It stayed in the air.
1: Yeah. So
0: I can't remember it because I don't accept it. And I've never really been given advice that meant to be good, that turned out to be bad. You know, mm. I've never kind of, again, the filters working at hyperspeed here. So that's my uh, cop-out answer.
1: Have a good filter. Have a good filter. That's the thing. I might ask you that in ten years' time You'll so <laughs> get a different answer. But <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. So my last question is: What does brave, bold, brilliant mean to you?
0: I think brave means doing things that other people won't do. I think being bold is having the confidence to be brave. And to put yourself out there, perhaps, or to, you know, jump out of your comfort zone to share your story, to do something that maybe others are not doing. And I think brilliance is very personal. I can't judge your brilliance and you can't judge mine. If you want to feel brilliant, then you are brilliant. It's as simple as that.
1: Fantastic. I love that. Excellent. Excellent interpretation. It gets good answers this because, you know, everyone's everyone has a different view on it. But I love that. So, Tej, where can people find you?
0: So uh, if you just type into Google Tej Talks, everything should come up. But if you want to get, uh, you know, if you want to be in contact with me, the easiest thing to do, is send me a DM on Instagram. That's tej.talks. But I'm on Spotify, you know, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, every single podcast app. Um, I'm on the internet, I'm everywhere. So just tej.talks or Talks, and uh, you should find me.
1: Excellent. Oh, Tez, you know what? It's been an absolute delight chatting with you. It really has. So congratulations on all of your success. Long may it continue. And thank you for being brave, bold and brilliant.
0: Thanks for having me.